My name is Christina Crook, and I am the author of The Joy of Missing Out. I want to welcome you to the JomoCast, a podcast for founders and creators seeking joy in a digital age. Jomo is the joy of missing out on the right things. Things like toxic hustle, comparison, and digital drain to make space for life-giving commitments that bring us peace, meaning, and joy. Fred Stutzman is the founder of the Freedom App a suite of tools to help people limit and block distancing content and activities on their devices with the goal of gaining and regaining creative and productive focus. Freedom is one of the standout members of a growing class of productivity apps, providing ways to restrict access to distracting, time-wasting apps or web browsing, or access to the internet in general for scheduled periods of productivity. Freedom rises to the head of the pack, however, with its richness of features and control and its warm, friendly user interface. Among those rich features are two things I've personally come to love. Fred, I love Focus Sounds, which is an ambient music effect player, and I use the Lux soundtrack. That is my sweet spot. And the session tracking functions have given me long-term metrics on how I frequently and consistently complete distraction-free productive sessions, most recently completing my most recent book. Freedom has partnered with us to give a permanent discount to members on a premium or lifetime subscription. So stick around right to the end where I'll be sharing the specifics about that. Fred is a former research faculty member at NCU Chapel Hill and Carnegie Mellon Universities. He's also a father of three boys and an avid competitive cyclist. So welcome, Fred. Oh, thank you so much. It's a (laughs) pleasure to be here. Where are you joining us from, actually? So I am joining you from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Okay. Um, Actually, I'm in Carborough, North Carolina, which is right next to Chapel Hill, but we're in what is known as the Research Triangle Park of North Carolina in the U.S. Tell me just briefly, what does that mean? So Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill are sort of the points of the triangle. And for a long time, there's been a tech hub. Back in the day, it was networking equipment. And now Apple just said they're coming. Google's here. It's a sort of growing space between the universities of Duke, UNC, and NC State. Mm. And so it's a really interesting place to be in tech. And we're one of the hubs of the the triangle, or one of the spokes of the triangle. Right? Amazing. I expect the real estate's a little bit uh, more reasonable there as well than Silicon Valley. Yeah, well, <laughs> then they, yeah, uh, and that's what everybody's talking about because Apple just <laughs> announced they're coming. And it's right. Like, oh, the real estate, yeah, so we'll see. <laughs> I guess I'm not moving anytime soon. Right. Well, as you know, our topic for today is creative focus, and I'm very excited to not only talk to you in your role as the CEO and founder of Freedom, but also, you know, your robust research background as well. So let's just jump right in. At Freedom, you say willpower is a finite resource. What do you mean when you say that? So to get work done, you know, you have to draw on physical, emotional, social, all of these resources to uh, align yourself to do focused work. It is something that draws you down. I mean, it's like exercising, it's like working out. And so your focus and your willpower is just one of these things. And so when it comes time to do 
your best work, your focused work, the things you really want to sit down and accomplish, you've got to think of it like, how am I setting myself up for success? And so setting yourself up for success is being in the right environment, having the drink that you like, having the sounds that you like, the smells, the people, you know, all of these things that are going to put you on a track to succeed. And of course, you know, freedom, our angle is, uh, I mean, we're, we're interested in all of these things, but we grew and started as a distraction blocking app. And I mean, that's really the low hanging fruit. You know, <laughs> if I'm going to sit down and work, I need to not have to constantly think about the switching costs and even just having the ability to switch a tab or to go somewhere else. All of these things cost you your willpower. There's a cognitive cost. And so the more you can turn these things off, you can turn off the distractions or the, even the availability of distractions, the more of these resources you're going to be able to marshal when it comes time to do the work that, you know, maybe isn't the easiest, but is the thing that gives you, you know, your career and your feelings of productivity. I mean, we don't have infinite resources to draw on when we want to get creative work done, when we mm -hmm. want to get our best work done. And so that's what we mean. And we're trying to set up an environment that allows you to succeed. And, you know, it's not trying to allow you to succeed for 10 hours a day because nobody can do that. It's in the hours that you have, let's do your best work and, you know, let's try and get the most accomplished. I didn't prepare a question about this, but I'm curious to know if you know the mm -hmm. statistics around how many productive and maybe specifically creatively productive hours people can really manage on a daily basis. So yes, I have I have looked into that, and it is a surprisingly small number of hours. <laughs> Tell me, so I'll, make, I'll feel um, better about myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're doing, uh, let's put it this way, if you're doing four hours of productive work a day, you are killing it. I mean, Amazing. it is, um, and it's going to vary across disciplines. And, you know, there is time for reflection, but the amount of time that, you know, you can spend actually getting real deep focused work done, it's limited. And so, yeah, I would say four hours a day on a high end, six hours. And some of it depends on your schedule. You know, if you're on a maker schedule or a manager schedule, if you're on a manager schedule, forget about it. If you're sure. on a maker schedule, you can allot that time. But even if you had no meetings and infinite time, there's only so many hours a day that you can kind of draw on to get real high quality work done. It's surprisingly limited. And that's one of the kind of conceits of knowledge work is that, you know, okay, it's not physical labor. So I, uh, you know, I, I, can, I can only do so many hours of physical labor a day, but that cognitive labor is equally taxing. Mm. And I, I know you know this because you give talks and you host a podcast and, you know, you, you get done with that. You may be charged up, but you're also, I mean, it takes it out of you. Yeah. And that kind of thinking, that kind of being on your toes is as draining as physical labor, as far as I'm concerned. Do you have internet fatigue? Are you bored of doom scrolling? Do you wish to live life outside of an online algorithm? Do you wish for better conversations? Do you want to get your creativity back? Then my new course, The Jomo Method, is for you. This program aims to be a helping hand to anyone wanting to take a step back and consciously change up their online habits. A year ago, I first opened the doors to a small group of students and have since helped designers, marketers, educators, and executives around the world. People working at Shopify and Adobe, 
people in Australia and Portugal, Brazil, and the USA. I've helped them take back control of their digital lives to do their best work and live with more joy. Do you like the sound of that? The Jomo Method is built right out of the insights I've gained over the past 10 years studying the intersection of technology and joy. The truth is, people who are happy with technology use it differently. And I want to show you how. Learn more by joining today at christinacrook.com forward slash waitlist. That's christinacrook.com forward slash waitlist. I can't wait to see you there. Oh, so many threads we can pick up here, but I'm going to keep going with my questions. I'd like to hear a little bit, and I'd love for all of us to be able to hear a bit about your journey and why you chose to create freedom. Yeah, yeah. It's a crazy and wild journey. But as you were sort of alluding to in the intro, I got my start in academia. I was a researcher. I went to graduate school and studied this area of information science called human-computer interaction. So I was interested in how we interact with devices and particularly what you might call sort of the social implications of technology. So how does technology change our behavior? How does technology change collective behavior? And I got into studying social media very early. Hmm. So back when it was Friendster and then MySpace, um, I was I haven't heard the term Friendster in such a long time. I almost forgot it existed. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I am. I'm absolutely dating myself, but you know, that's that. I I you saw look really that young, I, so don't feel too bad. Okay, continue, continue. <laughs> I saw that and I said, "This is. I mean, this is like what the internet was built to do in a way. I mm-hmm. mean, it's built to connect us at scale." And we had sort of seen that realized in some of the technologies that had come out at the time. I mean, email was a precursor, and but to actually see the identity formation and all the people connect. Um, was really interesting. So I got really into that. I was studying that. But of course, you know, I, I could basically be on social media as part of my work. And that proved to be distracting. I mean, I'm, I'm a human. I'm just like anybody else. So as part of the kind of social implications of this technology, I said, well, if, if we are going to be on our devices at all times, uh, whether that be a mobile device or a laptop or, you know, if, if we're going to have constant connectivity, then there's a whole set of problems that are going to emerge from that. Right. And for me, I mean, most tangibly, it was, I couldn't, you know, I wasn't getting my dissertation done because I was like, oh, you know, I'm studying it. I'm, I'm part of it. Uh, and so that is where the idea for freedom came from. And it, mm. it really came from a coffee shop. Basically, I would go to this coffee shop where they didn't have Wi-Fi. This was before everybody's phone had 4G or 5G or, you know, before you had the ability to just be constantly connected, you know, you kind of had to mindfully choose to be connected. And this coffee shop didn't have Wi-Fi and I would get great work done there. And I, you know, kind of connected the dots and said, okay, yeah, this is working for me. This is a great place to be productive. And then they turned on the Wi-Fi, you know, as a benefit for uh, (laughs) the people who Mm -hmm. came to the coffee shop. And it was interesting because, number one, the coffee shop changed. You know, it kind of used to be this place where people chatted. And I was the weirdo who was, like, doing work there. And and then it was everybody was just working and not chatting and on their laptops. And, you know, I couldn't get my work done there anymore. And that's where the very first idea for Freedom came Mm. from. I just went home and I wrote a little app that turned off and kind of locked you out of your Wi-Fi for 45 minutes. 
And, you know, kind of the, the rest is history after that. But it was that, that really sort of simple insight that got me to think about, well, listen, if technology is going to constantly encroach on our ability to do work, if it's going to be something we have to battle against, then we've got to fight back with technology. And mm. that was something that people kind of laughed at, you know, for a long time. Mm-hmm. But it's absolutely the truth. I mean, we've got to leverage technology to fight back against technology. We can't think of technology just as this thing that acts upon us, which is, you know, that's Wi-Fi, that's connectivity. It is this thing that acts upon us and we are a species that uses tools. We should use tools to fight back against that. And there's nothing wrong with using technology to do that. So tell us how freedom works exactly for someone who's never encountered it before. Yeah, it's pretty simple though. You know, we keep making it more complex, but it's pretty simple. The idea is we give you a way to turn off the noise. So freedom works on all your devices, Mac, Windows, iOS, Android, Chromebooks, and allows you to block apps, block websites, block distractions, and, you know, set it on a schedule. So if you want to, you know, wake up and nine to noon is your time, you can set a schedule and sort of pre-commit to the time that you're going to be away from the distractions. So we're giving people an easy way to turn off the noise and we're kind of leveraging some behavioral principles to basically say, you know, it's a lot harder to make these decisions to go offline when you're sort of in the heat of it. Mm-hmm. But when you when you, your future self says, hey, I want to, you know, be offline tomorrow morning because I want to get the writing done or I want to get the report done. People will do that and it works. And so we give them an easy way to do that. And as you mentioned, we also have a number of kind of accoutrements that sort of accompany work, things like focus sounds or white noise or Mm -hmm. nature sounds, because I think one of the big takeaways that we have seen in interviews and research that we've done is that, you know, work is so much more than just turning off distractions. It's setting up your entire environment for success. And Mm -hmm. um, there's so many parts of that. There's a lot to unpack there. But that's what freedom does. It just makes it real easy to turn those distractions off so you don't have to think about it and you don't have to wage that kind of mental battle (laughs) against the stuff that's waiting for you in the next tab. It does sound like the way you can get the most out of freedom is doing those pre-committed sessions versus just kind of haphazardly like, oh, I should really shut it down right now. Is that true? You know, I think... Gosh, there, there are. There I've are done so both, kind of fast, but I, I will say yeah, I probably yeah. have done more of the haphazardly, and I'm, I just wrote down that I'm going to commit to doing those pre-committed <laughs> sessions. I'd like to tell you about a wonderful tool developed by a supporter of the JomoCast. We've talked a lot about how social media and mobile apps are designed on purpose to be habit-forming, distracting, and to let us thoughtlessly lose hours of our day. Part of cultivating intentional tech use means taking control back from influences like this and not letting them get in the way of what really matters. The Freedom app works across all your devices at once, Mac, Android, anything you've got, freeing you from the distractions that you choose. You can block time-wasting sites and apps or the entire internet for a deeply productive, focused session. Freedom gives you complete control of how much help you need and when. With a premium Freedom subscription, you can schedule daily or weekly sessions across specific sites, apps, and devices. Freedom users report regaining about two and a half hours of productive time every single day. Wow. Because I believe in never advocating something I don't value myself, I've been using Freedom and had a wonderful first experience with it. 
after choosing to block all distracting apps. I later tried opening Facebook and got the message, you are free, do what matters. I can't think of any purer expression of Jomo than that. Give freedom a try with a special JomoCast discount. Install and upgrade to a premium yearly or forever plan for 40% off with code JOMO, J-O-M-O. Find out more at freedom.to slash JOMO. That's freedom.to slash JOMO. I encourage you to give freedom a try. So what I will what actually say is from the data and from kind of the research, it is so individual that mm. whatever works for you, that's okay. okay. And I mean, personally, myself, I'm not so much a schedule person. I am a chaining together sessions person. So mm-hmm. what I like to do is do a short session, get myself kind of almost like a warm up, sort of, you know, get started. Mm. And then you, you get over the first couple of minutes of pain, you know, which is not really pain. It's just not being able to check Twitter. <laughs> it just, it's um, very painful. And then you get over that. And then you just start, you just start chaining those things together, you know, from a behavioral psych standpoint, like, yeah, there's plenty of people that will tell you that if you write down your goals and you say, tomorrow morning, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to support it with turning on a freedom session and I'm going to pre-commit, that is a recipe for success. That is something that absolutely works for people. Pre-committing is very, very powerful. So if you want to go that route, that is absolutely fine. But I say whatever works for you, the most important thing is that you have an environment that works and you kind of ask yourself, what is the right environment for me? And, you know, obviously freedom is, that's a product and that's what we work on. But that's just, like I was saying, it's just part of it. You want to actually ask yourself, okay, what is my best environment? Where do I get the best work done? Kind of think about that and go through a mental exercise. You know, where am I? Uh, what am I drinking? What am I eating? Uh, how much sleep did I get last night? Did I work out before? Am I going to work out after? Mm. Um, where are my kids? You know, are they at school? Or are they, you know, like kind of think through all these things because all of them are connected to your ability to get high quality work done. And as you sort of tick through that list and say, okay, here are the things that I need to do that quality work set that up for you as well and know that that is sort of key to your ability to you know do this high quality work and obviously freedom can be part of that but it, it's way it is way more than that than just turning off the distractions though that that helps a lot yeah <laughs> i really lie. really like that so some of the takeaways i'm getting are the night before what i've heard that many times you know if you start your day planning what you're going to do right that's not not the ideal mm-hmm. way to start your day so decide the night before doing the freedom session but also yeah considering your entire environment. Fantastic. So one of my favorite prompts, so for those of you who've never used freedom, what happens is you decide what you want to be locked out of. I'll just use that term. And then you maybe accidentally go to that website. And then this full screen, beautiful green shows up with a little butterfly in the center. And there's always a different message. But my favorite one is you are free. Do what matters. And it's such an incredible, it just arrests me. It just makes me just pause and be like, right, I already decided what matters and it is not this. Um, So my question for you, Fred, is what matters most to you? Oh my goodness. (laughs) You're a CEO, you're an athlete, you're a parent. (laughs) Why do you use Um, freedom? What do you use it for? Maybe we'll get more specific there. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, 
there's a lot of things that matter to me and there's a big hierarchy there. The thing that really inspires me now as our team has grown is sort of having the capacity to build tools that, you know, as cliched as it sounds, helps people and really gets to think about what the future of work is going Mm. to be like. You know, it's been such a crazy and eye-opening last year looking at the sort of radical transformation of the work environment that it is just a really interesting time right now. So I spend a lot of my time now. I used to be an engineer coding, and now I don't do that so much anymore. I spend a lot of my time now trying to orchestrate how we're going to build these tools, how we're going to build these, and understand how we're going to build supports for people as we transition into somewhere where we thought we might be in 10 years, but we're actually going to be in like two or three years. Wow. And I mean, tied up in that is this notion that And one of the reasons I'm so excited about how work is changing is it ties back to things like family and Mm. having a more meaningful life and a less hectic life. So like what I mean by that is the future of work is not getting more hours out of the day. It's actually probably doing less work in more focused time. And like what we were saying about four hours, like, listen, if I could give you four hours a day to do really focused work, it, it, it would be life changing. Yeah. And if you do an audit, most people are not even accomplishing that. We're looking maybe at two hours. So it's not, hey, I, I need to do 10 hours a day of work. It's let me work more in less time and have tools that enable that. Mm. And at the same time, let's have more balance in my life because We're now moving to kind of a hub and spoke model of collaboration and corporations where the idea of the centralized office where, you know, you have the 90 minute commute, you know, that is going to fall away Mm -hmm. towards local collaboration around your house, co-working. I mean, all of that is going to radically change work. And to do that, to sort of be in that future, you are going to need software that sets up your environment and allows you to work effectively. Mm -hmm. Some of that is turning off distractions. Some of that is environmental controls, things like noises. And I mean, there's there's a lot of things that are going to come with that. But I've been living that for about two years now because I moved our, our office. We went remote as a company. I took my commute from 45 minutes one way down to about five minutes. And I've seen the future. And this is, you know, I think where we're going. And it allows you more balance. It allows you, you know, a better relationship with your family and your kids. And more sense of accomplishment by getting the work that you want to get done, done. So I don't know, I'm, I'm really excited about like to tie the thread together, building the tools that are going to give us back this balance in our lives mm-hmm. that we got so, you know, the industrial revolution and all the things that came along with it and sort of the hypertech of work has made, you know, just forced us to think about things in kind of the wrong ways. And now we've reset and it's really exciting time. When I hear you talk, I'm getting excited about the future of work as well. I do have an apprehension that you kind of alluded to earlier, which is that we'll just continue to fill the time. And when I hear you say that as a creative professional, most of my audience are creative professionals, you know, in all different sizes of organizations, solopreneurs, large multinational corporations, that if we're not clear on what our creative goals are, what we want to accomplish, then we'll just sort of fritter away the time, (laughs) as much time, as long as our eyes are open, right, in the day. And so I think there's a conversation that needs to be had around clarity about what you're going to do when you're done, like anticipating, like when I complete, 
when I finish my focus session, I'm going to go for that bike ride, or I'm going to go throw the ball with my kid, or I'm going to go take a nap, whatever it is, sort of planning that part out. I think we work really hard to make our work time productive, but we're not giving so much thought to productive is 100% the wrong word, but like making the most of that cliche, but making the most of your time when you're not at work. I feel like it's more important than ever that we figure out how to do both really well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I mean, I'm thinking about a study I was reading that I think Cal Newport pointed to where one of the side effects of the pandemic was, you know, people, they're not commuting. So they're actually working more. You know, they're saying, okay, well, I can log on at eight rather than like leave my house at eight. So they're doing more hours, uh, but they're actually getting less done. And so- This is the problem. And as we've also gone remote, there's this question of like, when do I get offline? You know, when do I disconnect and how do I disconnect? And so we have been thrust into an apocal change and we haven't been given tools or guidance on how to do it. Now, mm-hmm. some organizations are thinking about it. I mean, there's a lot of people who are thinking about it. So we're going to get some of that guidance. But, you know, if you just sort of throw people in, I think that, yeah, we will fill the time. I mean, it's the classic like study of investment bankers. Yes, they work very long hours, but when they do the time diary studies, people work to fill the time. They work to fill the hours. And so it really does take a sort of mindful introspection to say, okay, maybe I'm going to say I'm going to work 15 hours a day, but I'm actually working 15 hours a day. And like, how do I actually bring my time down to the amount of work time is required uh, to accomplish the goals. I think some of that is a project or process management question, which is like, you know, if the goal is not to just sort of work endlessly, it's how do I sort of create the knowledge piecework? And for a creative professional or for, you know, I would say my experience is like writing a dissertation. You know, a lot of that was like, okay, today I know I'm going to get this done. And it was like word count. Right. And when we look at the writers who use freedom, I mean, that is the thing that just comes up again and again. I mean, for a professional writer, Freedom is very big and supports the YA community, the romance community. I mean, there's a lot of writers that use Freedom, but there are professional writers who simply need to hit a word count each day because mm-hmm. that is moving their projects along. And so I don't think it's you know necessarily easy or translatable for all professions, but there is this question of like, what am I going to expect of myself each day? Mm. And ask yourself that question and be like, okay with it. And I mean, some days you're going to like, you know, you're going to hit that goal and you're just going to want to continue because you feel great. Right. You're going to miss the goal. Yeah. But like, if we can average around a goal, we're still going to kind of move the project forward. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm thinking about this in the context of knowledge work, but like, how do we evaluate, you know, what is the right amount of knowledge work to do each day? It's a very challenging question, especially Mm. when like most of our metrics are built around factory production and things like that. But, you know, it's a really interesting set of questions that we're going to be dealing with. Let's talk a little bit about multitasking. So the notion of multitasking has been studied, you know, as early as the 60s, probably before by both psychologists and technologists alike. But multitasking, as most people understand it, isn't truly possible outside of computers. What does multitasking really look like for the human brain? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I remember going back to like uh, Cliff Nass's studies in graduate school of multitasking and, you know, his student Jeremy Balenson. And like just walking away with the fact that like there is just not a capacity for multitasking. I mean, we can say that we multitask, but 
And anytime we multitask, we are effectively reducing our ability to focus on one thing or accomplish goals. I mean, it's, yeah. So my thoughts on multitasking is, I mean, it's inherent in modern kind of device, like multitasking is built in. And I think of a computer kind of like, you know, you're trying to get work done on your television. I mean, it is incredible how the incentives, yeah, I mean, the incentives that, I mean, the two OEMs, you know, Windows and Apple, I mean, they're not aligned with helping you do your best quality work. I mean, they're, they're just not thinking about that. And so there isn't a lot of thought put into how do we make these environments work in a sort of mono-focus, mono-task way. So that's where technology comes in to help mm. push back against that. I mean, we have to reconfigure the ways that we work to allow and enable, you know, monotasking and focusing. I think that we will get better at it. So like the fact that like you're doing work and, you know, you may may are getting a text message. I mean, you know, there are countless studies and we point to them that show like, okay, one distraction will take you up task and takes a long time to refocus. I mean, there's this platonic ideal that like, we can just work and like not be distracted. I mean, like, yeah, that's great. It's not reality. And all the parents so, during the pandemic laugh to themselves. Yeah, I know, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I had my uh, son r- right over here in the office working next to me the whole time. And let me tell you, it was <laughs> that was a multitask. Um, yeah. You got to be honest about like what, um, mm-hmm. how strict of an environment you can set up. But I mean, help yourself out, you know, make it easy on you. And that's a technology role and a pre-commitment role, you know, say like, okay, during this time, I'm not going to check these other things that are going to pull me off task and focus on it. So, you know, those two things go hand in hand. Hmm. So you've got three sons. Can I ask how old they are? Yes. Uh, my sons are uh, 12, 9, and 6. Okay. Mine are 11, 9, and 7. So right there. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got a daughter at the top. Um, so what are your family yeah. policies for potential distraction at home for things like completing schoolwork? And attached to that, what are their attitudes about distracting technology? Do they see an impact on themselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that... <laughs> I, you know, it's the, it's the classic the shoemakers, you know, um, I mean, a lot of the rules went out the window during the pandemic I yeah. mean, and it has been a very interesting experience. So like, we're not a family that's like anti-technology and keeps our kids off devices. I mean, I don't know. I grew up on devices and, you know, it was something that my, I had a computer at a very early age and it was instrumental in kind of the course of my life. So, you know, that is what it is. What was really interesting was, you know, when we went remote, just how much technology was shipped home from the schools and how much of that technology had absolutely no restrictions on it. And they weren't thinking about these policies. So we have rules around like YouTube use and we have limits on that stuff. I mean, we allow you to use it, but you can't use it for eight hours a day. But the stuff coming home from the school district had none of that and we couldn't control it. And so that was a battle for the last year. And I mean... I think it's important that the kids can, you know, develop some willpower around the Mm -hmm. use of technology and focusing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think it's a lot to ask of a young kid who's been thrown into a completely anomalous situation and given, you know, just thrown technology at. So there, there's been a lot of challenges in the last year. What else can I say about it? I mean, we have, we do have policies. We do have, we try to do sometimes where like Saturdays, all, you know, Saturdays where the internet's off and stuff like that. Cool. So they know that they can live without that. Mm-hmm. But 
of course, my 12 year old has just gone to middle school and it's a whole new world for me because the chatting and the Google groups and like all the ways that they connect have really taken off. And I went to graduate school and I studied this stuff and my advisor was Dana Boyd, who was on my thesis committee. She was your advisor? That's incredible. She wasn't my advisor. She was on my thesis committee, but you know, a very close friend and collaborator. Yeah. And you know, like I spent graduate school reading her work about the importance of technology and teen socialization, mm-hmm. especially when teens are geographically dispersed. Like yep. that's that's the model where we live in, where teens, they're not going to the town square. Social media is the town square. So I just feel it would be really harmful for me to say, you know, you can't have that. So, I mean, there's a whole set of like companies and things. Absolutely. No, I was mostly interested in in whether they acknowledge that it is distracting. I know from children because of the nature of my work, these are conversations that we have all the time. So I would imagine that they are well aware of the work that you do. And, you know, they have some fairly robust media literacy in the sense of like thinking critically about, oh, wow, like... This game wants me to, you know, whatever, harvest something, get a million badges, whatever. And so these are conversations we have. So, yeah, just a distraction piece. But let's move on because this is a creative focus conversation and not a family conversation. So one of the questions from my members is being creative for me means creative output and generating ideas. Is being my most creative different from just being mentally focused on a task? Mm, That's a good question. That's a good question because, you know, where does creativity come from and is it a replicable process? I mean, I think I can answer it from kind of my lens. I mean, a lot of my work is day-to-day management, but there has to be creativity in, in what I do. And a lot of the creativity comes thinking through complex problems. And so you were actually alluding to cycling. And so one of the reasons I like cycling is because, uh, number one, it forces you to be off your devices. <laughs> you can't ride a bike and be on your phone. Though I have done that. And one time I, yeah, I mean, okay, I won't go there. Um, <laughs> you shouldn't be on your devices while you're uh, riding a bike. Yes. But it forces you to have time to clear the head and think. And it also actually forces you sometimes to just not think about anything because all you're doing is like trying to stay attached to a group ride where they're going really fast and like All you can think about is your heart rate or something like that. So um, one of the things I really like to do is go out for a ride and use it as time to think about some of the challenges that I'm going through. And I often find that it unblocks me. Mm. So it is not the same as like just me sitting down to like power through Trello. Like that's kind of the day-to-day work stuff that I can have sort of a skill set and just say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to power through it, get X, Y, and Z done. But when it comes to like thinking through the really challenging issues that require creativity, Mm. I think sometimes you have to think like, okay, where am I going to sort of draw on inspiration to sort of get in that state where I can get creative? Mm -hmm. And it's going to be different for everybody, but that was very much an insight for me. And, you know, I try and like tell people, you know, sometimes when I'm on the bike, I'm actually working because I'm just thinking through these issues. And, you know, they're like, now you're biking, you're thinking about ice cream. But, you know, I, I do use it for that purpose. And so maybe the takeaway there is like, there are just times where you have to force yourself to get into a headspace where, you know, you can really just kind of focus on one thing and also have like an amount of time, like where, listen, I'm going to be gone for 90 minutes. Like, I got something to think about, and that can be very productive. 
Yeah, that's super helpful. I actually spent a large chunk of my writing time for my book actually at a picnic table that I would bike to at a local park. Uh, so obviously I was still working on a computer, sometimes in a paper journal, but most of the time still on the computer, but obviously no internet connection. So that was a way, yep. a workaround for me. But it was also because I was extremely inspired by the environment, circling back to our earlier conversation oh, about yeah, environment totally. and just the aliveness of the environment. I think we sometimes also, like you were drawn to work right back in that coffee shop back in the day, right? All of that life and movement and conversations. I would also hear the cycling groups uh, cycling behind me and very loud. They like to yell like a lot. Um, but all of that actually like infused and inspired my creativity, which did keep me really focused on the task. So I really like that question about, you know, asking the question, is creativity a replicable process? I think probably not. It's really interesting. <laughs> but interesting. I'm used to working with things in my space that other people might call distracting, like playing music and leaving the TV on. Am I fooling myself when I think that they actually help me focus because they're familiar and comfortable? No, no, absolutely not. I mean, I'll answer that from intuition, but also from some research that we've done. So one of the sort of research interviews that we do is we just get people to talk about, you know, tell me about the last time you were really productive. And, you know, one of the takeaways from that process is how individual and how different everyone's answer is. And so productivity is just one of these things that you have to figure out what works for you. Mm. And so if the TV on in the background works for you, if music on works for you, then no, there's nothing wrong with that. The point I would make about it is know that you need to experiment with your environments, know that you need to sort of mindfully think about like, okay, is this working? Is it not working? But every day we're, we've got a new opportunity to sort of see what works and what doesn't. So there's no harm in experimenting. And I mean, along those lines, like, yeah, focus sounds and adding the focus sounds is kind of like a big thing we did during the pandemic. And I, and I think one of the reasons why it has resonated with people is because we have found ourselves in these environments where, you know, other than like the people who have kids running around in the background, we're in these like very quiet environments where it's just very unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. And so having a coffee shop sound in the background, as interesting as it sounds, like it actually helps because it refamiliarizes yourself with that sort of mm. process that you're uh, used to. Is that in part because it brings you back to a time when you have experienced flow or deep work? Is that part of the reason why it works? Is because we've had um, like a productive session in another place and now we're almost like recreating that environment? Is that maybe what's happening? I'm just curious. I mean, I think of it through the lens of like, okay, what are the environmental cues that you're drawing on okay. that set yourself up for success? And so absolutely, like I can tell you from my personal experience that going to coffee shops where I've got people around me, I've got some bustle, like I don't handle quiet environments well. Like the pandemic has been like pretty hard for me because of that. And actually when my son went back to school, like I was like, you know, I'm like totally quiet now. I have no noise around me. As great as that sounds, it's actually not that great. So I've really picked up mm. my sort of use of um, focus sounds. Um, and I use Brain FM as well. I use their music. So I like coffee shop sounds. I also like focus music. Um, just something in the background to help me. Yes, 
part of it is just replicating that environment that you know has been successful for you. And I think part of it is like, you know, just turning off another area of your brain that like could just be kind of wandering off and exploring things. So like actually when you have a little background noise or white noise, that will sort of keep that part of your brain aligned and focused. And you've just got one less thing to worry about when you're getting your work done. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, last question. Being distraction-free, this is kind of circling back to a couple of things we've talked about before, but being distraction-free feels basically impossible to me because I work at home and have young kids, but I really do mm-hmm. feel like I need more focus. Is there a compromise? <laughs> is this an answerable yeah. question? <laughs> it's a tough, I mean, it is a, it's a tough one, but, you know, I think... What have we learned from the last year is that we have to sort of be honest with ourselves and and not so hard on ourselves. Hmm. So this idea that like, you know, I could be evaluated during this time via my productivity like two years ago. Like, it's just, it's not right. You can't do that. Like, you have to account for the fact that like we are in unprecedented times. Thankfully, starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but we can't judge ourselves by, you know, whatever we were doing before when the kids were in school or daycare and, you know, we just had an office or a coffee shop to look to go to. But there are things that you can do. And I think, I mean, as simple as it sounds, it's being honest with yourself around hmm. how much work can I actually accomplish and starting small. So, I mean, this is the number one sort of advice from the habit folks and the way to change or create a habit is by starting small. And so the way to start a productive habit is to start small and say, you know, maybe it's 15 minutes a day or 30 minutes a day. You know, it's probably not going to be four hours a day, but there's some sort of, you know, little chunk that you can maybe break off and find time and then try and build from there. You can use tools to enable, you can ask for help, but I realize it's hard. And I think my, my big point would be, we're going to come out of this and the times are going to change, but it's a hard time right now. So don't beat yourself up. Yeah, Be gentle with yourself, be honest and set realistic goals. I would add to that. I found that reframing interruptions has been really helpful. So for example, if one of my kids comes and asks me to do something with them, instead of being frustrated about that, if I can in that moment, if I'm honest with myself, that like really I could give 10 minutes to this person right now and step outside and kick the soccer ball, which is what I often end up doing with my seven-year-old boy. It's actually really energizing. It actually like is a nice break for me. It's connecting. It actually like fires me up in a bunch of different ways that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And so I I have found that also quite helpful. And if you like held yourself to this like ideal that, oh, I can't be distracted. I have to be in the state of flow. Like you'd you'd miss out on those great experiences. So, you know, reframing is such a wonderful way to put it. Any final words for those who are watching, watching the replay uh, about reclaiming focus, maybe like a first step to take? First step to take is a audit of your environment. I mean, that's mm. that's really simply ask yourself, you know, and we've talked about it a few times today, but when are you productive? Where are you productive? You know, and what works? Write it down, think about it and come back to it and reevaluate it over time. So if you want to change a habit and be more productive, I think that first step is just having that conversation with yourself about what works and what doesn't, right? And before you 
invest in technology or do big change, just think about what works. And like, because it could be as simple as, hey, maybe turn on some white noise or, or get some background noise or something like that. Obviously, freedom turns off distractions, so that's useful. But there are so many things that can sort of be drawn on to make kind of a small change that could, you know, in effect, have a pretty big impact. And mm -hmm. so those are the things you're going to look, want to look for. Like, what are the sort of tiny things that have a lot of leverage that can help you uh, change your habits or change yourself so that you're getting a little bit more done? And also sort of hold yourself up to a pretty reasonable standard, whereas you know, you're not going to necessarily try and get many more hours a day, but can you give yourself 15 or 30 more minutes? Mm -hmm. um, and so start there, be honest with yourself I mean, I, I really actually do also think document it, you know, write it down, think mm -hmm. about it, and then come back to it, revisit it, and um, you'll learn from yourself. There's a lot of self-study that I think is inherent in productivity because it is so it is so personal. And there's so many books you can buy about it, but I think a lot of it comes back to like what works for me. And remember, if you get four hours of creative focus, you are absolutely killing it. So yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Thank you so much, Fred. I really appreciate you being with yeah, us Christine, today. My pleasure. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review it, or share it with a friend. You're the key to spreading JOMO. The internet is not what it used to be. You need a roadmap to thrive in the digital age. I've created a new free JOMO guide, and it's available now at christinacrook.com. JOMO is the joy of missing out on the right things, but sometimes it's difficult to know what those right things are. I'll guide you through a simple four-step digital house cleaning process to clear away your digital clutter and make it easier to get at what really matters. That's the joy of missing out. Get your free JOMO guide today at christinacrook.com.